FM is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! my beautiful screamers and welcome to another episode of scream queens it's the podcast where horror gets gay this is episode 329 and tonight it's women in horror month so to celebrate we are kicking things off by looking at a little movie from 2017 called the moose head over the mantle which features not one not two but three but four female directors a female writer and some of them are all the same people. Anyway, it's very confusing. You know what? It's a very confusing movie, but you'll love it. You'll love it. And to help me sort through this movie's bloody, bloody timeline, I've got three fabulous women guests joining me. Vanessa McEnery from the VD Clinic Podcast, Nicole Davis from Movie Go Round, and Tara Gardner from Canada. But before we get into that, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and ever since 2010, I've been your guide to the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But, little pickle, you are going to have to see them through my very, very gay little eyes. Atihi, taha, tihu, taha. So let me get this out of the way up front. My apologies. This episode is late, and I've had a death in the family. And that means I'm dealing with the rest of my family. And you see, the movie that we're talking about tonight, The Moosehead Over the Mantle, is basically a genealogy. It's 100 years, six generations of the worst family ever. Covering this particular movie, which is all about a particularly awful family, while I'm dealing with my actual awful family, has been very, very difficult. So thank you for your patience. And in addition to a loss in the family, well... The family's grown a little bit, too, because I've now got Miss Boots living with me, and you're going to hear all about her later. But hold on, I got one more warning for you. I have to apologize. There's a sound problem with this episode. I did a rookie mistake. The sound for me was coming through my webcam and not my actual microphone. So I sound like crap, but the rest of my guests sound fabulous. I apologize for that. I cannot get these three women back together to do this in time, and it's just the way it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You've waited long enough to hear about this fabulous movie, so before I bring on my three fabulous guests, let's take a listen to the trailer for The Moosehead Over the Mantle. And by the way, if you don't want this movie spoiled, it's streaming for free on Tubi right now, so you might want to stop the podcast and go check it out first. Jackpot, this house is ridiculous. Why would anyone just board it up and let it go? I didn't even know it existed until Mom offered it up. What the hell is that? What is it? Billy Hopper's button. Uh-huh. This is your family. <laughs> you are related to some gnarly motherfuckers. Back to your visit. I, the ever-weary traveler, am simply in search of a place to lay my head. This has not been a boarding house in some time now, Pop. Yeah, uh, Mr. Lewis, will you be joining us? He, um, received word his mum was unwell and had to leave us a bit sooner than expected. Oh, that is too bad. But I thought his mum had already passed. Thank you. 
what I come from, Jay. And it explains a whole hell of a lot. You gotta be someone in your family you can ask. They're all dead. So February is Women in Horror Month, and to kick things off, well, I've decided we're going to spend it with a very special family, a real lovable bunch. You know, that's kind of like the Cunninghams and the Waltons and the Angles all rolled into one, a really, really friendly group. And I figure it's going to be no fun to hang out in one room for 100 years by myself, so I figured why not bring three of the most sharp-minded ladies that I know along with me. Without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls at my GNCs, wherever you may be, from the VD Clinic podcast, Vanessa McEnery, from the Movie Go Round podcast, Nicole Davis, and from from Canada because we can't talk about a movie about a moose head without having somebody from Canada present, Ms. Chara Garner! Hello! Oh, hey! Hi! Yay. Hi, everybody! Hello! So, how about them hot hindsers, huh? They definitely, you know, do a lot of things together, just not great things together. <laughs> right. Um. It really is. The family that slays together stays together. And oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. So, um, okay, the movie that we are here to talk about is called The Moose Head Over the Mantle. It's an independent film that swept all the awards. And it's kind of hard to describe. It's like an anthology movie in the spirit of trick-or-treat and that the stories all kind of intertwine and inter interwrap each other, except it's all about one family over a hundred years, but in one room of one house. I don't think it did a good Mix. job explaining it. Who hasn't been here in a long time? Who hasn't been here in a long time? Vanessa, it's been a hot minute since you've been here. Vanessa, could you give me a nice 30 second back of the DVD plot summary of the moose head over the mantle? Clock says that! Is it magic? Is it murder? Is it ghosts? All? I don't know. <laughs> There's just, there's a lot of fucked up family go nonsense going on here. And it's all contained in one place. I don't know. It's a, would you explain it as supernatural to someone, potentially? Would you? I would not. Would I would you? not. It's interesting that you got that, though. But I guess we'll get that in the discussion. So anybody else, anyone else want to jump in? The things you inherit Nicole, that you Nicole's making faces. Nicole, you made a face. You have to go. Uh, it's... A fixed camera in one room telling the story of the different generations of a family that live in the house. And each generation has something very disturbing about it and has a murder. But why? The murder family. <laughs> I, I enjoy this one just because it just says you don't have to be a completely whacked out looking Texas chainsaw family to be a completely creepy murder family. These are really respectable people. It's, well, it's always the, the quote-unquote normal ones that you have to look out for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Very quiet. Kept to themselves. <laughs> Such friendly people. Such friendly people. They have that one that's a little quiet, but everyone else is just fine. Church people. <laughs> well, they're religious. Kind of. Um, yeah, they are. <laughs> they're spiritual. BTK was found out by his church computer. Yike. But they said Yike. they couldn't track a floppy disk. <laughs> Are you kidding? That's unhackable technology. <laughs> 
Anyway. Uh, okay. Yeah. So this movie, it spans, like I said, it spans a hundred years, but we, we, we focus like we pop in on this family every 20 years or so. And it's all out of order and jumbled up. And what makes this neat is that every segment has a different director. So we have six different directors working on this project, four of whom are women. And the project itself was written by, produced by, and stars Jesse Gata, friend of show. Right. And she directs the 1945 segment. She does. She is one of the directors as well. So she, she wears a lot of hats, Miss Jesse. She does, yes. she does, she does. <laughs> and the rest of the cast, it's like a who's who of New York Independent Theater. It's like all like the best people in New York Independent Theater are in this movie. So it, it, it's kind of a treat for locals. No one else would know anybody. But it, it's, it was fun for me. I'm like, oh, God, look at them. Look at them. Um, you mentioned something about a fixed camera. Uh, Tara, well, what did she mean about a fixed camera? The camera sees through the eyes of specifically the taxidermied moose, but in a few of the other sequences, other taxidermied animals, and once or twice people's eyes when they're just about to die? Yes, as Alyssa Simon, uh, one of the stars of the film, and my, my co-star from The Underpants Gadoche said, she says you always see it through the eyes of the victims of the family whether it be the taxidermy animals, the person being killed, or occasionally from the killer as they're killing. Yeah, you get a slightly different haze when it's a human as opposed to the animals, I noticed. And that is also partially what, for me, pulls in this concept of something supernatural possibility that is in this space. Is there something fixed to this space that is driving these people? I mean, they could just be a random fucked up family and they were going to be like that wherever, but... Yeah, I personally never got any... I'm not saying you're wrong. I never got anything supernatural from it, but I can see where you're coming it, it, from. It's, it's a bad place. It's just something I thought watching some other... Uh, it, it partially some indigenous people's things... Um, recently and looking into some of the, like, Native American, uh, like, folklore. Interesting. I, I can definitely see it as if you take it on the perspective, like, the death and the violence is being repeated in the room, and it's absorbed by, like, the animals that died by violence, and even the moose, at something that we'll probably get to later, is the doorway to a very violent room, and it kind of seeps in and out of there. You could definitely interpret it that way. You no, know, and I'm not saying that's the the only thing. It was just like a thought that I that popped into my head as well as just I mean, in families, we do have these cycles of abuse and these cycles of violence that just not necessarily something as extreme as this movie, <laughs> but you know the cycles just basic cycles of, you know, your average display of domestic violence. To your point on it being supernatural, I could almost go for that. I can almost see what you're going up because at, during certain points of the movie, the moose does seem to be trying to communicate. It snorts at people. <laughs> I mean, maybe they don't hear it, but we hear it. I was trying to figure out what that noise was supposed it's to be. It's the animals. It's the animals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. <It's... laughs> I it's thought it was just again. sort of the, here. the sound of evil. Evil is here. Evil is present. Yeah, well, it, it normally <laughs> happened anytime anybody looked at the moose or was anywhere near the moose and something bad was about to happen, you'd hear this weird grunting noise. So I'm sure, why not? It's trying to talk, but its, ma its mouth is sewn shut. 
Gosh darn it. So you mentioned this family. I have this, this multitude of sins. I went through on my watch last night and I made a list of all the sins that I counted. <laughs> Chime in if I miss anything. This might take a while. We've got alcoholism, incest, animal cruelty, physical abuse, mental abuse, fraud, grift, child neglect, con artistry, smuggling, bootlegging, arson, mass murder, serial murder, murder for fun, murder for profit, murder for fun and profit, sororicide, fratricide, matricide, patricide, infanticide, possibly cannibalism, and I don't think I left anything out, but who knows? I think that's it. Pretty sure. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that. They also had terrible penmanship. <laughs> that covers a lot. That covers a yeah, lot. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. And, and, well, if you believe that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, that's in there as well. That's true. There was some lesbianism going on in the 1922 segment. One of the things that really strikes me about this movie is that you get a massive... I mean, what I thought was fun, the past couple of days... My guests have been going crazy trying to figure out the genealogy of everybody, like who's connected to who and where. It almost doesn't matter, but the fact that they were doing that was fascinating. But you had this complicated family history spanning over 100 years in a 90-minute movie. Yeah. And it keeps jumping back and forth the time, and yeah. you really don't get lost in it that much. No, after, kind of if you stop and think about it, you do figure out who's related to who, who it goes through. The one that's still bugging me, I'm not 100% sure who Edgar's parent is. I think I know, but it kind of could be either. Alyssa was like, I asked Alyssa, and I, I didn't hear back from um, a Jesse, but Alyssa was just like, I have no idea. That's the only one I'm not 100% on. All the others, I'm like, oh, yeah. There's so much incest in this family, it could be anybody. Well, and that's true. That's what I, when I said, it, you know, part of it being a, this a fucked up family, they are just so dysfunctional in their interpersonal dynamics and the incest is just you know you have stereotypes about these you know in Hollywood about these backwoods redneck hillbilly whatever people with whatever Appalachians or southern accent you mm -hmm. don't have that here <laughs> it's it's not exclusive to that segment of society but hollywood doesn't normally show that and here no, again it doesn't as sell said, as well when it's normal people it's, it's a much fun to have a caricature right right and as but you we said can all say, that's not me that's not me that's so it's funny it's entertaining because <laughs> it's not me but this is like how fun and it also makes you go what went on in my family 100 years ago that i don't know about yeah and as you said earlier it's it, you know it's those kind of normal families that are the ones that are often doing these just horrible things and mm -hmm. they get away with it because they I got the bootlegging and the murder and the gun running in mine. <laughs> oh, so. really? Okay. okay. <laughs> wow. Well, Tara just outed her family. She's going to, Tara's oh, going to disappear. After this <laughs> God, mine are just all raging alcoholics. Yeah, that's what Damn. they said in this movie. They're all dead. How can they hurt you now? Sexy stuff. Through your like jeans, honey. Through your jeans. Running. That's how. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it was funny. I had both uh, Alyssa and Jesse on the show uh, shortly after Moosehead was released. And I had them talking about the bad seed, and I hadn't seen the movie yet. This movie. They thought, oh, I thought that's why you picked it for us. Oh. Uh... 
<laughs> yes, that's exactly why I picked it. Yeah, I, I yeah, just sure, that sure, it was the perfect time to the film. If you, you say so. Um, because yeah. if you want to, if you want to pick a through line for the story, I would have to say my vote would be for the 1986 segment, the most modern of them. Yes. Which um, that's the one that that kind of grounds everything, and you can branch out from there. It's about this young couple that are moving into the house. Uh, it's her family house. They're moving in with their young son, and she's about to discover what her family really is. She has no idea. Because she kind yeah. of, they almost made it out. Her grandfather was sort of separated from the family. His kids seemed to have been okay, and yeah. she was ostensibly okay. They almost made it out. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, except her mom had to bring up the house. Well, you know what? We have this house, honey. I don't know. I am having trouble with your son. Maybe we can maybe we can go live in this house for a while. Since your apartment building mysteriously burned down. And yeah, so the, and her last time, when she's also expecting a child and she has their young son with her. And they're learning that there's something not, well, they're already suspecting there's something not right with their son. And there's not. And it's kind of fun to watch that all happen. Just this whole oh, yeah. One of the things I found interesting is that since it's all in one room is the stuff that you have to infer happening in other rooms. If you don't like to do that kind of work when you watch a movie, you're probably not going to have a good time. But I was having a good time. Like, what did we miss? What happened in the in-between? Oh, my gosh. He did what? (laughs) Well, it's like rope in that way. Yes. Where you have your one room and, you know, it's granted with this, do you have, you know, have you more camera angles and that kind of thing but uh it doesn't come across as one seamless camera shot but you have it restricted in a way where the imagine the imagination is important mm-hmm. and so and i think that you can do that in films you don't have to spoon feed everything to the audience i mean to, for something to be scary like the haunting uh 1963 is one of my favorite horror movies and part of it is i mean yes they had a budget but part of what makes that so terrifying is that it's sound effects mm-hmm. and your imagination you know and then how they you know what they did with the camera and so i think here there was a smaller budget but you can you can rely on those kind of those same techniques. Yeah. And that's where I I think the the you know the point of view of the animal heads versus the humans whatever I I think that uh, that expands that this idea of this takes place in only one room. And then yeah. and then combine that again with your imagination and sound effects for anything off stage off stage <laughs> yeah and this is a movie you have to pay attention to because you'll get details about something that happened 40 years ago in a segment that you know and then like, i was just connecting the dots last night and i've seen the movie several times and i was like oh yeah oh that's what that whole scene is about okay for instance we have a very early scene that's set in 1881 this, this is the this is the oldest segment that we have the, and we have the original family so to speak and we don't know anybody yet. And th- th- there's a young girl, and she keeps getting a, 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 a confronted by her brothers, going, I'll protect you. I'll protect you. Brother will protect you. I'll protect you. And, it, and he's really aggressive about it and ends up in violence. And you're going, oh, God, what is that about? Sisters should be grateful. There is nothing to be grateful for. 
cleaning sister would be. And then this time through, there, Nicole mentioned there's a song halfway through in the 1920s segment that explained everything. She bore three children in her time. One who died before his prime. A son by her pop, one by her brother, and a little sister from another. Sunfire Pawn, one for her brother. He was protecting her from incest with incest, which is so fucking creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. In that segment where he's later coming after her and like choking her on the floor. Yeah, same scene. It's yeah. like an erotic tinge to it yeah. on his part. Er, well, kind of both of their parts, but more his part, and it's just... Yeah, when she tries to... She's placating him, basically, to get him to stop of repeating his words. I initially thought that it was just, like, him, like, just getting angry, and then I was like, oh, no. Oh, shit. There's... It's like a... This is something else. This is like he's getting off. They're both kind of getting off. I don't know that she was so much. Yeah, I think she's playing Yeah, along. yeah, yeah. I mean, she was She's working the system. Along. It's learned behavior for survival. As we find out, she's no Ooh. good either. <laughs> right. What I also was fascinating about her, what I realized this time through, like, you see, because of this weird perspective, which I know it's going to drive people crazy, this weird perspective thing, because it makes things more like a play and you're not getting a lot of close-ups, so there's a distance to things. So in particular with this young character, young, the young version of Anna, who we meet later in another segment as an adult, I'm watching her for these first few scenes where you see her, and I'm going, oh, she's like, you know, 12, 14. And then later on, a close-up, I'm going, no, she's not. She's not. She's, 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 an, she's an adult woman dressed like a little girl, which makes it even more freaky when you find yep. out what's going on. There were a lot of things. And why she's dressed like that. Yeah, there were a lot of things in this movie that made it... M- I think more difficult to follow than it should have been. Um, like number one, the lighting isn't great in a lot of the scenes. You can't actually see everything that's going on very well. I mean, I know some of that's deliberate, but I think some of it was it it was too much. Um, the angle of the cameras is usually very high, so you can't always see what like people's hands are doing. Or, you know, what's behind them, what part of the room they're in exactly, where things are in relation to each other, you know, and the timeline is not linear. And while, you know, I I do agree with Vanessa that if it were linear, it would be more spoon feedy. (laughs) I would have liked it to have been, you know, not straight linear, but like start with 1983, flashback to 1881, do that whole segment come back to 83, then go back to 1904, you know, and sort of progress through the back generations as we're getting pieces of the modern story. And I think that would have been really helpful. As it was, I was just trying to figure out, is this, is there a thematic progression to it that I was missing? Mm. Because it just seemed like they just sort of fit it in at sort of appropriate points in the 1983 story. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. There there were a couple moments where it was kind of like the... It it was like the editing felt jarring between, oh, this is a time period jump, like, wait. And it, it it would have made more sense if... Yes, okay, start out with the 
one in the 80s and then go back more to give more information for the beginning. But then you can keep referring back to the beginning or, or, or whatever. Um, but I, I think you had to get those at least two segments, kind of more information about them out of the way before you could have done any other flashbacks between time periods. Mm. Because then it's like, then it places it in a sense of, a complete sense of, oh, okay, now I know this is where we have started. And this is where, okay, this kind of family is progressing. Mm-hmm. You know, it has, it's these dynamics that are here. They've always been here. They've always been here. Um, I get that. I get all that. It's, a, I mean, I know it's an experimental choice to do a movie like this. It was you know, a risk, and it shows to in who they picked to direct each segment. Because um, the guy who directed the final segment, the 1986 segment, uh, Brian Ank, he is an independent uh, movie maker, as is a lot of these people in this cast. All these people, all these directors, have worked with Brian Ank at some other point in a different capacity. It was like, I'm going to give you a chance to direct my experimental film. That this is a chance to try something new with somebody new. So I see we're just we're, they were just trying to see what happened. And so I appreciate it for that. And it doesn't always work, but when it does, I find it very effective. Particularly on like the third or fourth watch when I'm still connecting dots going, oh my God, this goes deeper than I thought it did. Wow, okay, wow. Wow, it's not just the surface stories. It's just, wow, wow. (laughs) These echoes that keep happening throughout time. Sorry, Tara. It's a film that does benefit from watching uh, more than once because you will Mm -hmm. start to pick up those lines and it becomes a lot clearer, the relations. Mm -hmm. And sort of, oh, He's a little less entrenched in this now because he left for a while and now can kind of see the crazy or, oh, this one is very much unstable because of this. And it is just going through the family. And this is the one that the line went from. So the crazy super strong now. Yeah. And in this generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 OK. So um, I'm really not sure how to progress. So um, I signed everybody a different timeline. Like each one of us is going to be an expert on one of the timelines, and so why don't we just start at the beginning with 1881? I think which I gave to Vanessa. Yeah, you gave that to me. I don't know if I'm an expert. I, you know, it's just you have the very strict family um, from German stock, the the matriarch only speaking German, and. The father will at least speak English to the children, but uh, you have the uh, brother and uh, the boy and the boy and the girl, and and uh, the boy is he's already being abused by the mother in this strict sense and upbringing, but and I mean, and it, it's it's then in return to the sister. Mm-hmm. What's then, what, okay? What a question for you. Like, every segment has their big crime. What's the big crime that this particular branch of the family well, is doing? So, so, there are multiple crimes. There's one big one. I mean, the overarching one. Obviously, you have the incest because you have the kind of the incest aspect between the siblings. But I think you have it between the father and daughter a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah well, it definitely says that. So you got one, one by her pa, one by her brother. So she t- Right, exactly. Uh, and then, so they also run, I don't even know if they just were doing it for fun or just like as a side business, pulling teeth or like 
the was it just the gold teeth or? Well, I mean, they have to kill the people first before they start pulling well, they have, the teeth. Yeah, out of I them. think it's based off a family. I could not remember the name of them for the Agnes life of McVie. Me. Agnes McVie. Agnes McVie ran a boarding house, the the 108 mile boarding house on the Gold Rush Trail, and they would murder their guests for their gold teeth and their money, get them to sign over life insurance, life insurance policies and stuff like that. And that's exactly what this family's doing. They're murdering people and possibly eating them. I'm not sure. It's kind of implied that they're eating them by the end. Because I do know some German. She, the mother only speaks in German, and we don't get any subtitles. Mm-hmm. I know at one point she said, leave your sister in peace, to the brother, waving the knife in his face. And then at the end, while the boys, while the boys are in the, other, in the moose room, taking apart Mr. Sleestack, or whatever his name was. <laughs> Sweetack. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say Sweetums. <laughs> See, the thing is... I got Sleestack in my head, and for some reason, I had three posts from three different people lost. today referencing <laughs> Sleestacks, so Sleestacks are in my head. So Mr. Sleestack is getting, has been murdered, is being taken apart in the moose room while the, while, the, while, the, while the mother and daughter are setting up the table, and she says to, like, at one point, she says, uh, uh, bring in das Fleisch, bring me the meat. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, are they eating them too? Well, actually, it would make sense, economically speaking. What else are you going to do? Hey, we got a body. What are we going to do? We're going to bury it or we're going to eat it? Hey, yeah, yeah. But, but no, I, I thought I, but I, I thought it was, but I couldn't remember the serial killer that, because I knew that there have been multiple. Dorothea Puente. Kind of uh, situations where that, and it was actually pretty common in California, like far, you know, American West mining areas like to when people died or they were either killed off and then they the gold teeth were taken or when they died someone like just made a business of taking all the gold teeth yeah 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 Yeah. but why wait for them to die where you can just help them along i think the cannibalism is going on yeah i do too i do too um what i also love through all this there's, there's an awful scene a wonderful awful scene in this where they're getting ready for dinner with Mr. Sleepstack for his final dinner. And the father's at the table and he's, he makes the, the daughter practice coming in the room and greeting him a couple of times. Yeah. Evening, Pa? No. Okay. Enter. There's beautiful little sister. Stop right there. Let me see what my lovely has on. Give Papa his turnaround. Do you approve, Papa? Hmm. I do. Lovely Anna. Come. Come, child, I won't bite. What was that line? It's a terrible line. Um, I can't find my notes. It was something like, uh, show, sh- show Papa your turnaround. Was like, uh, Give Papa his turnaround. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I, I, heard, I, I heard that, and I was just like, oh. I was cringing. I was cringing. And then he forces the drink down her throat, basically. And then, and then chokes her against the wall. And I went, ah, that's where the son learned this from. 
he learned this from Papa. But yeah. I just loved after the scene, you're thinking, oh, this poor girl, oh, this poor girl, oh, this poor girl. The father leaves the room and she just reaches in a raper and takes out a straight razor just for a second, just opens it and puts it back. I'm like, oh, something's afoot. <laughs> oh, something's afoot. Something's afoot. The straight razor and the knives that we see in this segment come up later mm -hmm. in the film. What were your, were your family butchers? Yeah. Actually, yeah, they were. <laughs> they were, just not the kind you're thinking. And it's and nothing said, explained about it, but it's like, and then there's, yeah. Yeah, just you hear the, little, the, butcher like, line come, the butcher line comes towards the beginning of the movie in the 1986 like when they're first moving in and they're taking stuff out of boxes and realizing that their stuff got mixed up with stuff that got from storage. So it's all this old stuff mixed up with their stuff and then the boxes are labeled, so they have to go through everything, which is the conceit of how she's finding out about her past. And he goes to that box and finds all the, the weapons. He goes, were they butchers? We don't find out that they're butchers till the end of the movie. So it's a well, good 90 minutes later. Right. Even after, long after you're introduced to the, uh, the 1881 segment. Yeah. I mean, you just, that's kind of like given to you in multiple pieces. Although I As think are the guests. That was definitely <laughs> one of the most compelling parts of the movie is as it's coming to the conclusion, that last bit of 1881 and the last bit of 1983. That really, yeah. yes. that, that really yes. had me held where I was. I'm like, oh, what's where's this going? Where's this? What's going on? What, ah, what's happening now? What's going to happen to the dad? What's going to happen to mom? What's going to, you know. It's going on the same way in flames. That's how it's going to end. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Bell, you brought up serial killer, you know, Bell Gunness was in rotation in uh, 1880s and into the it's early 19... Yeah, 1908, Wikipedia said. 19... Well, 1908 That's when the fire is, happened. is supposedly when she died, but she may have faked her death. Okay, who is Belle Gunness? Can someone please back up and fill me in here? <laughs> okay, she's a, an American serial killer... And she was in the kind of the business of she would uh, kill, it lure in and, you know, buy one ads, men, um, and like, as Come in to the, my like, farm. Enjoy this life. Bring yeah, your money. Exactly. I'm a wonderful wife. Triflers need not apply. She was kind yeah. of a black, she didn't really marry that many of them, but she kind of like lured them in. And when the when the fire occurred at the farm in 1908, there was a female decapitated body that was supposedly her, but it wasn't a hundred percent sure that it was her. Mm. The size was weird. And, the skull was weird. Yeah, yeah exactly. But. Her three children were there, and they also found the remains of, well, they stopped counting at 11 bodies, other than that, on her farm. And so, you know, so a couple of the, the people that she did kill were, like, husbands, insurance policy, that kind Gentlemen of thing. Gentlemen So the early Hoffheins of families... Yeah, so the Hoffines family in 1881 exactly. is running their boarding house and having a similar setup. Yeah. Yeah, but into the 
1904 segment is that kind of like, oh, let's get, you know, insurance payout. Yeah, she didn't need to kill for as long because she had the money anyway. Because mm-hmm. right. she did apparently lock her whole family in the barn, set it on fire, and she miraculously survived. Yay! <laughs> what a miracle. Praise yep. Jesus. Praise Jesus. That poor girl. Anna. That poor girl. Yeah, so we have a carryover. Now we have adult Anna, or I should say Lady Anna in 1904. Yeah. Uh, who did I sign that to? Me. Oh, Tara. Tara, yeah. tell me about what's going on in 1904. What's her current grift? Her current grift is being a spiritual medium and contacting the other side. So very much think like the Fox sisters, if you're familiar with that. Mm. Victorian era loving sort of anything with that table tipping. All of that where now the murder room which is behind the moose, is used to sort of hide things to enhance her seances. Mm. And she has three children now, her eldest, Frank, the middle child, William, and her youngest daughter, Minnie. Minnie in this one is only heard by crying, so she's markedly younger than the two boys. Mm. Frank seems to be sort of the most with it, if you can say that. And... William yeah. is yeah, not so much, a little too much in love with Mother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Just a touch. There's entirely too uh, much yeah. referring to people by their, like, family relationships rather than names. Like, it's, you know, we, I don't want to share Mother. I don't, you know, and... Papa says, share mother. You know, brother, be good to sister. Sister, be good to brother. You know, it's like, ugh. Well, and it should be noted that in the 1881 segment where young Anna has to do the spin for Mr. What's-His-Name, he's going to, you know, give her display of spiritualism. You are very welcome, my dear. Since there's some time before dinner, why don't you offer to entertain her, Mr. Sweetheart? A capital idea, Mr. Hoffines. You, dear Anna, are now charged with the job of entertaining before dinner. <laughs> I gladly accept, Mr. Sweetag. How shall I entertain? Uh, do you sing? Do you dance? I can recite. I am not much for recitation. You know, Mr. Sweetak, my Anna is a bit of a medium, sir. You don't say, Mr. Hoffheit. She does seem to have a gift. Oh, I believe she has more than one gift, Mr. Hoffheit. Would you be interested in trying to contact someone in the beyond? <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Hoffheit, but I will admit I don't put too much stock in such things. Dear Anna, don't now be rude to Mr. Sweetheart. Uh, of course, I wouldn't mind a little demonstration, dear Anna. Mm-hmm. Now, who shall we summon? Oh. Shall we try to contact Mr. Lewis's dear mother? Sorry? Shall we try Mr. Lewis's mum? Since she has not yet crossed over, I doubt that quest will be very fruitful. 
Well, we must see if our Mr. Lewis is caught telling tales. <laughs> Such a spark. Well, let us try. Uh, you are our guest, sir. Anna, the floor and the chair are yours. Yeah, all so her she grips. was already in training at a young age. It's all learned behavior for her. It's survival. Oh. It's perfectly normal. This is same with her alcoholism. It is completely normal. Yep. Yeah. It's the way you live your life. If they're dumb enough to be a sucker, why shouldn't you take advantage of it? Exactly. And we actually see, like, in that first segment that you see that she has the father. The father has her do do the medium bit for Mr. Sleestack as entertainment. Conjure his mom. Wouldn't it be fun to distract him while the guys are sneaking up behind him with knives to slit his throat? That was probably also how they would have learned who knows you're here. Is your family dead? Who would miss mm -hmm. you if you're gone? Mm -hmm. And it changes to the ladies of the city they're in wanting to contact people. And she would have already known them. She would have already had that information. It's a hot reading, which that is a really interesting. If you want to learn more about why you shouldn't trust anyone who claims to be a psychic, hot reading and cold readings. They're a lot easier than you think. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, if you leave them alive, they're going to come back. Yeah. You've got them hooked now. Well, why kill them? Yeah. And it's all, it's messy. It's yeah. all going great. I'm a lady and, now. Yeah. Until Mr. Pomeroy shows up. Oh, Mr. Pomeroy. Uh, so I have to say, Lady Anna here is played by Alyssa Simon. Alyssa Simon is my castmate from the Underpants Godot and the, 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 uh, the Lower East Side Murder Mystery, or, or the Ryan case, where it was called. We come into the scene mid-seance. It's just ending. And she's got this huge theatrical voice. All the spirits are leaving us. Oh, thank you so much for communing with me. Oh, yeah. oh fuck you, man. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for your energy. And I do hope you feel fulfilled by the gifts from beyond we were graciously allowed to receive. Oh, like this big spiritual show voice. The second they're gone, she, she says, Churlish Philistines. Common. Just common. Churlish Philistines, common, common, which is the most Alyssa Simon line that has ever been written, ever, ever. I loved it. It was perfect. It was perfect. It summed Alyssa up perfect. It was perfect. So yeah, there's lots, lots of fun to be had with this segment too. Like the, the yeah. first segment isn't fun. There's fun to be had with this. Like that, like you see them, they see them switching the room back, you know, from the sands to the regular living room. Yeah, she's dropped her whole persona, and she's just she's just a regular woman now. She's not all fancy. She's just swigging swigging booze and giving orders, <laughs> just splayed out on the chaise lounge. Like, yeah, you get it, girl. You there's, get it, girl. She's got a servant. There's practically a record scratch when the door knocks unexpectedly, and they're like, "Get it all back." <laughs> yeah, we just like, spent five minutes. Like, get out. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. It's basically they had a really good thing going. And probably if Mr. Pomeroy hadn't shown up to blackmail her, which I'm assuming that's what it is, then they would have kept going. And maybe what happened wouldn't have happened. One of my favorite parts of the scene is, again, something I caught this time because I got to pay more attention to Minnie's song, which comes later. Third verse of her song. Good son Frank killed with a hammer would kill at will without much clamor. When William saw what Frank had done, he made it so he'd be mother's favorite son. Last on standing, what did he do? And I'm going, what did he do? And I've seen the movie before going, what did he do? What did he do? What did he, I don't remember. So I was, I was glued. 
trying to figure out, okay, yeah, because he was saying that, you know, the, 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 the older son did seem to be more with it, or at least more passable. But little William, little William doesn't like to share. No. No. No, he doesn't. He's not happy that Mr. Palmer, this guy, Mr. Palmer, is here, who's so gross. Yeah. He's so good, but he's, he's so, so oh, yeah. oh, I know. He's smarmy. Well, they both are. I mean, she's turning it, but she's throwing it right back in his face. We're turning out, she's turning back in that, oh, 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 willowy, willowy flower bullshit. Meanwhile, slicking, <laughs> slugging back uh, jiggers of booze. And just going, but why are you here? Yeah, why? It's like, you're not <laughs> answering me. Why are you here? Are you not happy to see me? Whatever could you mean? I just did not expect to see you until spring. I have business here in town. Ah, but what brings you to my doorstep, dear Pomeroy? You seem to be doing very well. Back to your visit. I, the ever-weary traveler, I'm simply in search of a place to lay my head. This has not been a boarding house in some time now, Pop. I know, dear Lady Anna. Such an astonishing metamorphosis. Will you be with us for a while? And with your family all dead and gone. Will you be with us for a while, Palmer? Such a terrible fire. I said, will you be with us for a while? If you will have me. But I do not think you're any position to say no. Yeah, I see. I didn't even get black now. I'm like this. This. This is. I figured this is his grift. I come and I find eligible young widows or whatever, and I'm just gonna move in. I'm I gonna give them what they need, and they're gonna take care of me. I got as long as I need. I got blackmail because he mentioned the fire. Oh, did he? Okay. He did. Okay. And so I'm th- yeah. wondering if he was going to start spreading rumors or something. That's sort of what, where I got that impression. And that's why I assumed and because she was so upset after when they left to discuss and she came back alone. And she is very upset. It's too damn bad. That's just too damn bad. <laughs> Boys, Mr. Pomeroy will be staying here for a while. But we do not like Mr. Pomeroy. We do not like Mr. Pomeroy in the least. Well, that's too damn bad. What was that, Mother? I said that's too damn bad! Yes, Mother. Yes, Mother. Now, you be good boys. And you be nice to Mr. Pomeroy. You do whatever he asks of you. He is our guest. Yes, Mother. Yes, Mother. So it's basically that's when the boys kind of go, he's not wanted here by anyone. So why should he stay? The guy that Mr. Pomeroy comes in, you get the, the two sons have to sit in the living room. The, the one room that we're in, we get to hear them bang through the ceiling. They're just sitting there smoking, listening to their mother get banged. Very loudly. And talk about how, you know, how we don't want to share mother. We already share mother. He will be gone soon enough. I don't want to lose mother. We will not lose mother. I don't want to share mother. We will never have to share mother, William. 
We already do. Oh. <laughs> that's got to, like, for those and two, then Mr. Pomeroy that's comes got in. to just hurt, just to hear that. Mr. Pomeroy comes strolling in. He's got no shoes on. His clothes are all beret, like, in his odd just fuck face. And he's singing, singing his little song and thinking he owns this place now. And I own you two boys now. Nope. And he, he got too close to William and what happened? William was more successful than his first time he attacked him. Knocks him down, starts beating the living hell out of him. And then Frank goes, that's not as effective. I'll make it better. Gets a hammer and hammer, hammer, hammer. Gets up. Both boys stand there. Frank says, Get his hands, I'll get his feet. Hands the hammer to William. William takes that hammer and rams it in his brother's eye. Because he doesn't want to share a mother. The one thing I want to add is that, the, the one thing I want to add is that William did not knock uh, Mr. Pomeroy over. He bit his fucking tongue out. Mid, 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 mid phrase. He got these, it's like I'm singing, I loved it so much when you were sweet 16. He just grabbed his head and bit the fucker's tongue out. I'm like, yes, it's one way to stop karaoke. Well, Pomeroy did say earlier he did have the devil in him. That's right. You gotta be, you gotta shake hands with the man. You gotta have a bit of devil in your, in your rest. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, really is kind of shocking that with William being so possessive of their mother that many even made it to adulthood. Yeah. One of the things that I think is also awful, we don't see many, we keep hearing her crying, and Lady Anna has no time for this daughter. No time. She just oh, orders, absolutely not. keep ordering Frank to take care of her. And at one point she goes, Frank, go tend to your sister. She's probably hungry. Well, then feed it. Feed it. Yep. Gross. <laughs> Horrible people. Horrible people. All right, 1922, that's me. It's a party. It's a party. It's William, it's grown up William. He's had a family and William Jr. is getting married. He's getting married to Mildred. He's getting married to Mildred. <laughs> what it looks like at the last possible second because she's like eight, like putting three quarters months pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> she's not just Flapper a little bit pregnant. Are... She's real pregnant. <laughs> it's a wonderful party. And William here is, adult William Jr. is played by Travis D. Fantastic New York presence, performance artist, wonderful guy, super political, great guy. And it was great to see him on, on camera. And he, you're finding out in his speech, he's like, yeah, it's a great party. And, you know, they try to shut us down, but I've always got my own and I've got enough for you outside. So we were finding out, oh, he's a bootlegger. Okay, great, 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 great. Big party. He has the scene with his wife, Lillian. He gives a toast to his wife, Lillian, who's lovely, by the way. <laughs> lovely. He you see little glimmers of light in characters every now and then. You're going, oh, God, what's going to happen to them? Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's so depressing because you're like, this shit, this happiness, just it's just not going to last for long. No. Just, no. And he gives it, this toast where he's like, he says, um. I want to end by thanking my enchanting wife. Oh. Lillian. I've been stuck on you since the moment we've met. You've stood by me through thick and thin. You've been my rock, my heart. The only woman in this world, I can say, is truly my own. And you go, aww. And then you go, ew, weird, creepy ownership. Ew. And then it turns out Lillian's not really his at all. What's going on with Lillian? Uh, Minnie finally appears on screen and is very friendly with Lillian. Yes. Minnie's got her whole got Marlena Dietrich in her tuxedo vibe going on. 
I wanted so much more of Minnie. I wanted so much more of Minnie. <laughs> yes. The second she came out, I'm like, oh, this is a lot. It's great. It's such a different character that we've seen this whole time now. And she said, yes. she's the one I want to hang out with, but oh, Because she makes her entrance when William starts to basically transition the speech to, I only wish mother had been here and a toast to Lady Anna. And then she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's about your kid. How about we go drink now? Yeah. Yeah, so everybody goes outside to drink, and Lillian and Minnie have this quick I believe I believe in the old gay romances they would call it a brief encounter. Yes. <laughs> Baby, you look good from every angle. Did anybody notice you? They're all so drunk they wouldn't notice if a hun showed up with a camera. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you had gotten my note. I know. With how all-consuming the wedding plans have been, I just, I couldn't miss the opportunity to steal some time away with you. I sleep just down the hall. You can steal me anytime. And please don't joke. The only woman in this world I can say is truly my own. What an ass. They have a brief encounter on the sofa. And, very yes. brief, and it's, but it's lovely. It's lovely. It's, it's a weird moment of tenderness in this awful, awful movie. It's just a stolen kiss, a couple of quick words of, of, of endearment, and Lillian has to go run off and tend to the party, leaving Minnie alone to treat us with that song. Anna Hoffheins struck a match, tossed it in and locked the latch. Burned her family to the ground Took every penny and every pound She bore three children in her time One who died before his prime A son by her pa, one by her brother And a little sister from another Good son Frank was skilled with a hammer would kill at will without much clamor. When William saw what Frank had done, he made it so he'd be mother's favorite one. The last son standing. What did he do? Uh, which she also gives the back history of the fire that we don't see. Right. Yeah, we haven't heard. Yeah. We haven't. We, we don't. We haven't heard about this at all. How? Uh, Anna Hoffheim struck a match, thrust it in, and locked the latch, burned her family to the, to the ground, took every penny, took every pound. Lady Honor was not a woman to be fucked with. And she's sitting there strumming her ukulele all by herself, and someone's watching from the moose room. That dang moose room. William heard the whole thing, saw the whole thing, and strangles his own sister. You've got a house full of people. <laughs> How are you going to get out of this? Answer, he doesn't. Waits for his wife to come in. Sixteen. And then hangs himself in front of her and their son. And he says something. Sixteen. Yes. I don't know why he said sixteen. Neither do I. I was hoping you would. <laughs> nope. Yeah, no. I don't know. Is it the number no. of people that his family had murdered? Maybe? Or he had killed. <laughs> this is a sixteen. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't trust this, this family. Is, this is this is the sixteenth time I've caught you in a lesbian trist <laughs> It's the last time. Sixteen, 16 I don't know. 
don't know. But it's one of those mysterious things that I, I don't mind. I, 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 some things I like Enigma's on. That Lillian knows what it meant, and it, it, it hurt her. It was designed right. to hurt her, and we don't need to know what it means. So that was 1922. These people know how to throw a party. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Uh-huh. Uh, cut to 1945. Yeah, that's me. 1945 opens with tidying up the living room or the parlor, whichever room it happens to be, uh, because Arthur has come back from the war. Uh, I believe he's the youngest son, if it, unless it, that's Gordon, I'm not sure. But Arthur's back from the war, and he's like big, strapping, blonde American boy, you know. And quite a shincracker. Quite a sh whatever the cash shincracker. I'm like, yeah. That's a <laughs> kind of gruesome expression for a dancer. Um, now that you mentioned it, yeah. yeah. Right. But Arthur comes back and I'm he's sure, like, I'm sure that phrase was picked specifically for that reason. Because yeah. it's a gruesome way to describe dancing. And he's very, for someone who's just come back from the war and has seen God knows what and has probably enough PTSD that he doesn't want to go on the family hunting trip anymore. Um, mm. Mm. He seems the most normal out of anybody. You know, he's he's got it together. He's been somewhere else for a while and has come, you know, come to his own new normal. He understands the way other people's families work and are, you know, quote unquote, supposed to work, unlike his family. But he's come back home to William Jr., who's an abusive alcoholic uh, and who's the, the patriarch currently. Uh, his mother is gone. Poor Mildred passed away at some point. I think it's implied that giving birth to Arthur is how she died because the father says it's his fault that she's gone. So there's William. There's the eldest brother, Robert, who is just... A nasty piece of work. Uh, there's very meek uh, Gordon. Um, and then there's the one girl, Norma, who's also pretty meek, but she dotes on her big brother, Arthur, and is the, the caretaker. She's the self-appointed caretaker, which happens a lot in families with alcoholics. Somebody will step up and try to you know, take care of everybody else, even if they can't take care of themselves. Yeah, we've, we've heard about Norma a lot in future segments. Right. No, she's so it was kind of exciting when she showed up, like, ooh, what's going to happen with Norma? And I was very worried about Norma this whole segment. I didn't need to be, but <laughs> like, mm, but great stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, so, okay, so he's come home, big deal. Or at least that's the way that dad's passing it off. He's like, yeah, and? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and th th this is, this is um, William Jr., who we saw got married off in 1922. So, who's now the patriarch of this family, and he's a mean old drunk, and he abuses his kids. He's beaten the crap out of Gordon. Yep. When the segment opens for leaving the cocktail that he was that Gordon was bringing him, he left it on top of the radio. Right. The broken radio. The radio. That's worth more than you are. It doesn't even work. <laughs> Things broken it doesn't. Even yeah. Work. The father says it's worth more than you are, and is when Gordon tells his big brother Robert later that he put the drink on the radio. Robert says that's worth more than you are. What'd you do? Put his drink on the radio? Well, the thing is worth more than you are. So Robert takes after dear old dad in more ways than one. But I really liked this. I wanted to talk about this segment just because it felt so much more 
this one is is also directed uh, by the writer Jesse Gata, <clears throat> and it felt more solid than some of the other segments. Um, this and 1983 were my two favorites. It's, so I feel like it's the directorial touch. There's less jumping around in the editing. Uh, there's more immediacy to it. And I'm not sure if that's the lighting or um, there's definitely really good sound design in this segment because when Robert brings his girl home, you know, they go out, dad leaves the house and he's going to go get drunk somewhere. In a drunken stupor. Right. In a drunken fury. He's already drunk. Say. Yeah. And he's out to get drunker. And so, you know, Arthur and Robert say, well, let's go, let's go get dad. And Norma decides to go along and Gordon's left to hold down the fort because even, you know, the brother who cares about him understands that Gordon's not going to be terribly useful when they come back, nobody's found dad, but Robert's brought home a girl. Robert's drunk. He's stopped at a couple of bars and maybe had a drink at this bar and maybe went to check this other bar and had another drink looking for dad. Picked up a girl, brought her home. And Gordon says, get her, get her upstairs before dad comes home because he knows his dad's going to be furious about that too. And when... Robert tries to take her out of the room. She resists him. She has, she has the gall to resist him, and she slaps him. And he hauls off and really belts her one. And the sound design here is incredibly effective. It's so brutal. You knew she was dead as soon as that punch hit. You're like, you didn't need to hear anything. It's like, that girl's dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just from the sound. The sound is so, it's a solid connection. And you know that poor, poor Betty uh, has had it. The instinct for everybody is to cover it over. Rather than... Without any hesitancy at all. They're all just like, cover it up. This ain't the first time at the rodeo. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but you would think... That, you know, if Norma went to the police, if like Norma and Arthur went to the police or Norma and Gordon and Arthur went to the police, they could they could have gotten Robert put away then. And who knows how many lives they would have saved. We find out later if they but had to them. They still have to deal with their this, dad. And mm -hmm. that was family, family, anything. the shame, right. the scandal. Yeah, the shame, exactly. and the scandal. Yeah. Exactly. They'd be ruined. That's the problem. That was the problem with the 40s is, you know, people covered over their alcoholic relatives. They made up stories. They did whatever they had to to avoid airing their dirty laundry with other people, even if that meant that one of the kids could never have a life of her own and had to stay home and make sure that dad didn't get too drunk one night and, you know, plow his car into the police station or something couple of things I loved about this segment, and they all involve Norma. There's a lovely segment. There's, there's a few, there's only a few moments in this movie where you go, oh, this is, this was almost kind of nice. Was Norma seen with Arthur where he's, where, where he's talking about teaching her to dance. Mm -hmm. So no parties, no dates, not even dances. Dances? Do you even know how to dance? 
That's it. Yeah. What? Come on. What? I'm gonna teach you. You know how to dance? Oh, single-handedly <laughs> tossing jitterbug to every single bird overseas. I have become quite the shincracker. I don't believe it. Well, you better believe it. <laughs> All that, you just got some, it was a warm, bubbly thing, and it, was, it wasn't about anything else. It was about a brother and sister acting like a normal brother and sister, even though you're kind of waiting for, like, he's going to grab her boobs. <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. And you're getting that energy from Norma, because we've heard so much about Norma. Norma ran away. Norma was the one who stayed behind. Norma was the one that stayed with, with, with Grandpa till he died, and then she just fucked off, and we don't know where she is. Good for her. Good yeah. for her. Good <laughs> for her. Get away from these people. Never look back, Norma. I know. But there was a scene. This is... When Norma comes in after they've taken away the body of the girl, and she just goes, whose purse is this? Mm-hmm. And you think there's going to be a moral thing, but she, that she's right in there with him. I'm like, oh, fuck, she's just as bad. Just as bad. But there's a moment that they have at the, uh, at the window, I think her and Gordon. He's passed out. Good. He can sleep it off in the car. Norma, you have to get out of this house. Who else is going to take care of him? He's a mean drunk who's going to chew you up and spit you out. I can't leave him like Mom did. Mom didn't leave. She died. It's the same thing. What wrong with me? I'm like, with this family, it is the same thing. Life, death, they're just gone. I'm not here anymore. Yeah, it they was left. Arthur. It was, she was saying that to Arthur because he's trying to get her to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Who's going to exactly. take care of dad? Right. 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 Yeah. He's like he can take care of himself. He's a grown man. And then we find out later Arthur effectively left the family because in the very first segment there's a the 1966 segment. Yeah. Which is where we are now. Which is where we are now. And the other thing that we find out is that this not only is we get a hint early on from the 1986 segment that there's something wrong with Uncle Robert because we hear something about, oh, well, we can't go there. We can't go to that school because they do a background check. Remember that other school we went to where we found out all about Uncle Robert? Mm-hmm. What, what did they find out about Uncle Robert? <laughs> well, it turns out that Uncle Robert had quite a, quite a string of bodies. He uh, was linked to seven murders in California. Claimed there were a hell of a lot more, but they only found seven. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of person Robert was, was he wasn't content to let them know about Seven. He wanted to take credit where credit was due. Mm-hmm. Also, great casting. Like, the second I saw him, I'm like, that guy's a fuck. <laughs> that guy's a fuck. He's, he's, like at that per- he's just like the perfect face and the perfect blonde face, the perfect all-American face. And in this family, you go, you're going to be the worst of them all. You're the worst in the mall, I can tell already. And he's pretty damn bad. He's pretty damn bad. 1966 is unusual because we don't we don't get a lot of 1966. No, there's not much of it. There's not much of it. No. There's Carl and Edgar coming. It looks like the house has been abandoned for a little while. Uh, squatters might have come in and gone. There's some spray paint on the walls. They've got the classic pentagram and 666 spray painted on the wall. And a dick. And at first... Because it's the first segment. I, yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because it's the first segment and they come in and you see that spray paint on the wall. I'm like, oh, God, this isn't going to be just like some satanic panic thing, is it? But it's not. No. So it's a little more complicated than this. Worse. <laughs> Worse family. <laughs> yeah. So it's Carl and Edgar. And Edgar is our, the relative. I think Carl is just Edgar's friend, Edgar's buddy that he's brought in. That's and what I got. they yeah. have this... This exchange that I that I chuckled at 
where, um, you know, Carl comes in and he looks at the moose head and he's like, ah, it's got eyes. Shit, man. That thing have eyes? And Edgar's completely blotto and he's just like, yeah, two of them. (laughs) It's looking at me. I think it's looking at me. Does that. He does that. Yeah, it does that. (laughs) (laughs) The moose knows. The moose has seen all. That's right. The moose has seen everything. Moose knows all the secrets. Yeah. And it seems certain family members pick up on that the moose knows. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, and that goes back to me saying there's a supernatural force behind the animal heads. You know what? With, I, I, with this family, with other shit they did, if that didn't, if that didn't curse the ground, mm. cause some kind of supernatural rift, I don't know what will. <laughs> this house would be burned to the ground again. Yeah, that's what I mean. You just residual yeah. energy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're mostly a lot of backstory. It seemed like the crazy seemed to skip a generation. Like this was the quiet time. Or at least it wasn't happening in the house. Right. Because the house was empty. So right. mm. The alcoholism didn't skip, but the crazy did, apparently. No. Well, can you imagine what this family's like? Can you imagine what dealing with this family ever tastes like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. <laughs> I get why you drink if you belong to that family. I, I understand that. Yeah. The impression I got in this one is that, one, the William Jr., the grandfather, sort of in this, has finally died. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's implied, at least that's what I got, was that Robert has been arrested for the murders. Mm-hmm. And it's found out that he murdered Gordon, who I think is Edgar's oh. father. Oh, okay. And I'm thinking <sighs> that's why he's so upset. And they he, he has a line, she wouldn't have lied, and that's about Norma, and that they can't find her. So I think yeah. when she found out Gordon had died, she may have turned Robert in then and booked it. And fucked because off. Because yeah. their father finally died. That makes sense. She's a fucking bitch. She lied. She lied. Yeah, because that's the argument they're having. Yes, they, but we don't know what the argument uh, was. So yeah, okay. it, interesting. That okay. would, ex- that that would explain yeah. why Edgar was so angry. I figured... And so upset and why his wife was so worried. It would also, with the timeline, be why Lil, 1983 Lillian, doesn't really know because she's referred to as the apple of Arthur's eye, his grandchild. Yeah. And so she would have just been born maybe one or two. Yeah, although the timing doesn't work very well from that. If you're going from 1966 to 1983, that would make her very young. That would make her like 19, 20 years old. And their child is like like eight. Toddler-ish. I don't know. But it's <laughs> it that's kind of the impression I got of it. Yeah. I mean she could, why... she could have given birth as a teenager and you know Jay is the guy who's married her later, but Yeah, that's the lineage I got from that just because Arthur appears to have left the family. Right. And actually moved Arthur quite got far away. away. Yeah. Has a stroke, is living with his son who I'm assuming is Lillian's father. Mm. Yeah. And has kind mm. of okay. kept all of this out of the family. And the house goes to Arthur. Tell me they're not going to use it anymore. Just tell me that that they're done with this place. Please. They will not come back here. You promise? Tell me they're not going to use it anymore. Tell me they're not going to use it. I can't. I can't keep track with the the family tree. No. No. (laughs) It's a lot. It's, It's a lot. You could go crazy. But the thing is. When I saw this in the theaters, and also this, it does kind of, this suffers from big screen syndrome. Like on the big screen, it was a lot easier to follow. 
Okay, 1986. First of all, Lil walked on. I went. I want her coat. <laughs> yes, I want yes. it. That coat was gorgeous. That red was hair it was glorious. Oh yeah, isn't it great hair? The, the the coat, the boots. I'm like nailing it, nailing the look without going super 80s. Coats and the boots. <laughs> That's all I wanted. Mm. We're getting little clues that there's something wrong with the sun. Like just like in the bad seat, it skipped a generation. Mm. Like. Lil, Lil's come out okay. She's she's a relatively normal functioning person, but the more we find out about this son of theirs, the more you're like, oh no, no, Nicholas. no, 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 yeah. no, 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 Nicholas. You don't see it, do you? You honestly just don't oh, see it. Oh, I see it, just not the way you do. We have a kid who wears a Halloween mask practically every day. A kid who is on more medication than most adults. A kid who can go weeks without talking or communication of any kind. We have a kid who almost burnt down an entire apartment building. Knowing that his mother was inside. Silent Nicholas until, well, until the end. So a lot of it is, is she is more clued in and that there's something wrong. Yeah. She's more concerned about getting help now, can any thought as to how we should handle the, the whole school situation? Um, well, the school year's already started, so that limits things. Um, I think we have to go with Springwood Hills. What about that private school? They will check references and contact his last school, so okay. no. Well, uh, what about... He requires too much attention, just... Send him to public school. We could always... And homeschooling is no longer an option. We could give it one more try. We? This is hard enough already. Please don't make it worse. You're right. I'm sorry. I just hate those places. It's not one of those places. We are going to start running out of options. With the thing that... The more things that the sun does, combined with what she's finding out in these boxes. And all the newspaper clippings I found, they say he died in an accident during an engagement party. Well, that's not true. He strangled his sister and then hung himself in front of his wife and child. What am I looking at? That's that life insurance policy I found. Who is the sole beneficiary listed? Anna Marie Dubois Hoffheinz. I found an article about Lady Anna. It tells the story about how her father, brother, and mother all died in a fire in a barn that used to be on the property, and she was the only one who survived. Hey. Want to know why Robert was in prison? Not particularly. He was convicted on seven counts of homicide in California. He claimed there were more, but only seven bodies were ever found. All women, except for one. His brother Gordon was the lucky fella. Jesus Christ. This is what I come from, Jay. And it explains a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. She's like, this is my family. This is who I come from. Right. I don't think yeah. Jay that He's right. following in their footsteps. Yeah, I don't I don't think the husband Jay is gaslighting. I think he's just in denial. Like massive denial. Yeah, that's the right that's a better word. It well, was it's gotta be a yes. hard thing. Yeah, no one it's wants to believe that like, their, their child is capable of terrible things like that or yeah. anything like that or or is, is, is sick in some way you're like oh, no, no 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 it's something else it's something else mm -hmm. it's something else it'll be fine it'll be fine because so it's my family don't talk about it we'll go away and also stuff it all down we as an audience are shown like 
animal mutilation and stuff like that. But if you didn't know that and you're just, he doesn't talk a lot, he has trouble communicating, he sometimes doesn't socialize, a lot of that now would be attributed to being on the spectrum perhaps, but it's the right. other things that we as an audience are being allowed to see and that his mother from being with him because it's implied that she homeschooled him for a while. She tried. It didn't was work. was a lot more clued into. And so she's like, no, no, no. This is not just behavioral issues. This is not him being with developmental or anything like that. This is something worse. And she's really worried because she's pregnant. She's pregnant. And she has that, I, one, of, one of my favorite bits of this was when she just says to her husband, she's like, look, we've only got a limited amount of time, but we're going to have the upper hand. And we've got to use it now. Mm. Never in a million years hurt you. Yes, he has a ton of behavioral problems. I acknowledge that. I'm not blind. But he is completely incapable of ever hurting anybody. We are not going to have the upper hand much longer. We can't afford to miss anything. We won't. Yeah. And, just keep, and she's right. And she's right. We, we keep seeing things escalate and... It, like he always wears his, we don't see his face for most of the time. He wears a Halloween mask all the time. But that's normal. It's normal. It's normal. And these two are great. Like this, this, these, this couple crackles. The two of them yeah. crackle together. Their energy is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. This was, this was my, my favorite acting in this film was this, the 1983 yeah. segment. Because I think just mainly because it was the most modernistic style of acting. You know, some of the previous segments it was a, a little stagey. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it has some really nice transitions with the cameras of using the different animals, of like mm -hmm. finding one in a box, right. and doing that yeah, of the covering the moose the head at one point, the yes. wolf heads on and the bookshelf. It, <laughs> yeah, having the box fall down and have that be a transition. Mm. Yeah, it, it was really well used in that instance. Yeah. No, I definitely like the yeah. box where it went go went from dark to suddenly the room being revealed because the box fell off the moose head. But it all ends tragically, and I don't want to spoil it. Okay. It doesn't end well, but I don't want it, because we're going to be doing a screening of this, and so, I'll insert a date later. Ah, <laughs> uh, hello, this is Flemdy Gargoyle. Just letting you know that the screening of the moose head over the mantle will be happening on Sunday, February 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And to join, all you have to do is click the link www.screamerqueens.com slash drive-in to join the fun. Back to the show. At the Scream Queens Drive-In, where we are every Sunday night screening movies, we'll be showing this in a couple of weeks. So if you want to see Moosehead Over the Mantle, you can come watch there, or you can find it on Tubi for free. Yeah. But we don't do commercials at my, my, my drive-in. No, we don't. <laughs> you don't want to sit through commercials? You come watch it with us. You have a good time. Well, Tubi had subtitles, so that was... That was helpful in some places. Subtitles, subtitles. I put, you know what? You know what? Yeah. I had the DVD and I put the subtitles on and they were all, they were quite terrible. <laughs> no, I, I watched going, on. That's not what they just said. That's not what they just said. And that's also not the sound effect I just heard. I watched on Tubi with the, the sound effects and it, I mean, the, the subtitles. And that was really helpful for yeah, the, the Tubi. The Tubi ones are good subtitles for it because I did that as well just to make sure I was getting names. Correct, because I thought for the longest time Ladyana was another Liliana, and then I'm like, are there three of them? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, but like at certain points, like, like every time the moose made a noise, it'd be like thunderclap. I'm like, not a thunderclap. It's a moose. It's a moose clap. <laughs> it's a moose. Do not deny the moose's lines. 
No, I, I think it's a fascinating little experiment. I mean, it's it's not it's not uh, as far as horror movies because it's not going to give you nightmares or anything. It's not that kind of a movie. I, it's almost more of a drama, but with horrific points. But as someone who comes from a fucked up family, I went, mm-hmm. All of this resonates with me. Like, if I found out my family was killing people 100 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes total sense to me. I mean, there, and there are secrets of my family. Like, I think I've talked about it on the show, like, with my grandmother. After she died, we found out she was not the woman that we thought she was. She had changed her name when she came to America. She was from Germany, and she passed herself off as being Irish. And we had no idea until she was dead. So there's a whole side of the family that we don't know. It turns out, like, she came from the cabaret. Like, my family owned cabarets in Berlin. Wow. Where did I come from? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, she, did, she, she, let, she fled... German, she left Germany in the uh, in the late 30s and never looked back. Cut off all ties. I'm going. What happened there? What happened there? Are we Jewish? Were we Nazis? I don't know. <laughs> I would love to hear a German speaker giving an Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No family. Con's got a con. He got a good con. He played that con. Yeah. She played it well. All families have secrets, and some that they. Sometimes they keep the secrets so long that they don't think of them as secrets anymore. Like, I keep finding thing, little things out about my medical history. You know, I'm almost 50 years old, and I didn't find out till like, five years ago that my grandmother had been in a mental hospital briefly with hallucinations. And, you know, she was seeing little people and things and had to be committed briefly. I'm just like, well then, why did anybody say anything you know and it's sort of that classic well no one ever brought it up you know no one ever because no one ever speaks of it because then if we talk about it then it happened well they I never... plus to be in a mental hospital whenever she was in a mental hospital oh the stigma oh yeah the stigma they, they never talked about it i mean there's a there are a lot of things like my father for instance about because he was put into an orphanage he and his immediate younger brother because his parents were like such bad alcoholics and you know um may have been hiding from the law but luckily the rest of their siblings were adopted by family members but the two of them got stuck in an orphanage i mean and they were a little bit older but i didn't know a lot of different things about them and about my father like as a child until even five years ago yeah when I was in my 40s and I only found out because of my uncle that was raised in the orphanage with him like and he's written a book about it my father certainly hasn't told me like well something wow. becomes well why would I it's nothing Right. Or he told you don't need or to my know dad that. told me a lie. You don't need to know that. that you were perfectly fine not knowing that, right? Yeah, it's you easier than fine. telling you the truth. No. Right. Families, 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 families. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to give credit to all the directors here. We got uh, Jane Rose, who did 1881, Matthew Gray, who did 1904, Shannon Hall, 1922, Jesse Gott in 1945, Rebecca Comrois, 1966, and uh, Brian Inc. Yeah. I clapped, but I'd hurt my microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was a good choice to have different directors for each segment, but at the same point, it was like, ugh. So, like some, we, we mentioned, like some capture better than some, it gets a little stagey in some more in some segments more than others. 
But overall, I think for an experimental film with these restrictions that they self-imposed on themselves, good job. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Sometimes restrictions give you a lot of freedom because you have to get really creative. And you can see that in really some of the segments. People got very creative with what they did. Mm-hmm. I, no, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I'm reminded there's a story of um, uh, Sam Raimi was working on the Evil Dead. And, you know, it was, you know, some horrible nights. It's like five degrees. They're soaking wet. They're like half buried in the ground. They're miserable. The cast is miserable. Everybody's miserable. One, one, I, one of the Raimi brothers looked at him and was like, it's never going to get better than this, is it? This is, this, this, this. It's like, you know what? You're right. This is awesome. Because <laughs> if you look at Evil Dead, they had nothing. They had no money. And they, because of that, they were able to take all these risks and do things in a different way that hadn't been done before. And had they had a zillion dollar budget, it wouldn't happen. So, um, what's that word? Oh, some, oh gosh. <sighs> There's a phrase that sums it up, but I can't think of what it is, and I'll fix it in post if I can think of it. All right, so before we wrap up, Vanessa, please tell us about the VD Clinic podcast. What goes on over there, and where can people find you? Um, yes, the VD Clinic podcast. We are on Legion Podcast Network. We uh, cover books, movies, and um, we release an episode a month. Um, sometimes we do just do um, a movie, but and if you're lucky, we'll act out a scene, you know, poorly, but <laughs> we amuse ourselves at least. And sold. Okay, Nicole, please tell us about this crazy movie-go-round ride <laughs> that you, you run. Uh, it is a show that I do with David Luzader and Brett Stewart. We talk about movies. We have five rotating themes uh by the time this podcast uh comes out we will have released our 150th episode where we talked about twilight new moon oh Um, was that you you did this to us did they pick that did the audience do that to you the audience did twilight to us for episode 100 so we figured yeah we'll run with it (laughs) for 150 Interesting choice. Interesting choice. <laughs> Self-masochism. All right. All it right. was not right. fun you to got... watch, but it was fun to talk about. <laughs> Can I just say something random? Oh, yeah. There's certain people who every time I say their name, I have to say their whole name because it's fun. David Luzader is one of those people. Yes. That is a fun <laughs> name to say. No, it's a fun show. I love it. Good times. And Tara, how about you? Where can people find out more about you? You don't have a podcast, but you're fabulous and Canadian all the same. <laughs> um, yeah. If you want to go, there's my... Uh, Instagram, it's at Tara, T-A-R-A, underscore, let's see if I can spell this correctly, I'm dyslexic, R-A-H-B-O-O-M-D-E-A-Y? Just started, it'll oh, show up. Oh, Tara uh, I'll fix it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Tara So the big question, Tara, how did the Moosehead do for you? Did the Moosehead represent Canada properly? It was pretty good. It was massive because people underestimate how big moose actually are. They are massive. If you see one in public, get the hell away. They will fuck you up. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even joking. They will mess you up because they are huge and they are strong and they are territorial. And even if they don't, they're going to remember everything you did. Yes. <laughs> it's just going to come up to your door, your window, and just be like, I know. Yeah. 
elephants never forget and neither do moose. Yeah. Okay, ladies, thank you so much for joining me for the first installment of Women in Horror Month. Thank you for being fabulous women in horror yourself. We love you. Bye. Have a good night Bye. and stay healthy. Bye, everybody. Thank you once again to my three fabulous guests, Nicole, Vanessa, and Tara. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for helping me through this very complicated but very, very worthy effort movie. You know, I was so focused on keeping the plot together in some sort of coherent form that I forgot some of my major talking points. Like, one of the things I really wanted to talk about was that the theme of the apple not falling far from the tree and how so many of these time periods seem to be based on specific real-life incidents. And I thought, isn't it funny that a movie that came out in 2017, it can't possibly be a coincidence that we started in 1881 at that family that was running a boarding house that was also, you know, butchering the guests. When our former president, his family initially made their money by running a very similar boarding house in Canada on the gold trail there. Now, I'm not saying they were murdering people, but it was also a brothel. So there were shady dealings in this family from the beginning. And it just... Was wondering, it was just talking points to get into, and I just totally forgot because I'm an idiot. But you know what? We got through the movie. Granted, we didn't uh, didn't spoil anything for you because I want you to watch this movie. It's a challenge. I love a movie that's a challenge. It, it doesn't spoof feed the audience. It says stand up, pay attention, piece things together yourself, and I love that. I love a movie that dares to take that risk with its audience, and the Moosehead Over the Mantle does that in shovelfuls. And of course, while the movie is available on Tubi, please do not forget that on Sunday, February 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be screening it at the Scream Queens Virtual Drive-In. Of course, it's not a real drive-in. It's a fancy name for a watch party. So come hang out with us. Theme trailers beforehand is me testing out my horror host skills. There'll be a short film. It's a good time. And you can do that by visiting www.screamqueens.com slash drive-in at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the day of the show. And there'll be plenty of posts about that on social media to remind you about it. Before we go any further, I would be remiss if I didn't thank one of my partners in crime, and that would be Captivate FM, my podcast host. Now, I've often said that my old podcast host was a nightmare to work with, and Captivate makes everything incredibly easy. And I keep saying how Captivate keeps adding new and exciting features pretty much every week. The latest ones are insane. Like, just recently, they added dynamic ad insertion. What does that mean, Patrick? That means, like, I can put in an ad somewhere. At the beginning of this episode, I'm advertising the drive-in. I can put that at the beginning of this episode, and it will show up on all the episodes, all 328 previous episodes. It'll all be there, and it will keep popping up as long as I say it's there. That's a great feature. That's a great feature. And now, I'm still figuring out how this works. They have a thing that writes my show notes automatically. Yeah, so I don't have to write show notes anymore. It will just happen on its own. That's amazing, and it's all included in the price. And that's Captivate FM. And you can get a seven-day free trial of Captivate FM by going to www.screamqueens.com slash Captivate. So coming up next time, it is still Women in Horror Month, obviously, and we are going to take a look at the 1987 film Near Dark, directed by Academy, well, future Academy Award winner, Catherine Bigelow. And to do that, I'm going to be joined by Paul Stevenson. You might remember him from the Blob episode, and also a brand-new guest, Kelly Hugaboom. And while Near Dark is a classic, it's almost impossible to find right now. I had to dig really deep to find up a, to find a crappy DVD version of it. It's not streaming anywhere. It's not available on any of the services. You can't even get a, 
It's not on Netflix, not even on the DVD rental. It's that you cannot get it, except for $100 Blu-rays, which, eh, you might want to do, or you might not want to do. But if you don't want to do that, we're going to be screening that at the drive-in later on in the month as well. So keep an eye out for that. I think that's all I got for you right now. This episode's already late, and so let's just wrap this puppy up. Now, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that really easily. You can find me on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Scream Queens. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And if you enjoyed this show, please, by all means, share it. Share it with a friend. If you didn't like it, share it with an enemy. And if you really, really like it, write me a review somewhere. It has been over a year since I've gotten a review for this show, and that's just sad. Said, well, I already wrote one on iTunes. They won't let me write another one. Why don't you sign up for Podchaser? Podchaser said, like, the, the future of the podcasting world. Go sign up for now. It's free. It's good stuff. And I think that's all I got for you for now. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place. And never, ever, ever forget that Scream Queen's golden rule. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel. Wear a fucking mask. Wash your fucking hands. Get the fucking shot. Keep your fucking distance and never forget for one second how much I love you. Bye. All of the music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.